We're glad that you're here this morning. I'm a uh, man. I'm pumped. I I'm excited to kind of or at, at the place that we've gotten to in Philippians. It's about to get pretty fun, I think. And so um, we're uh, continuing our walk through Philippians of our kind of our series called Advancing the Gospel, and uh, we will be in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven. And this is a really cool place because um, kind of where we've gotten to. Uh, Paul is about to quote this, what a lot of scholars think is an old Christian hymn that the early church would have sang. And so it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So let's just jump right in. And it was just neat because I was thinking this week about, um, I say jump in, I'm going to like talk, tell a story, but I was thinking this week about um, this, this hymn, right? A lot of Christian scholars think that this is a hymn. And so I was thinking about what would, I guess, the church 2,000 years from now, if they were to sit down and and read some of the things that we sang, that we wrote um, about our God and to our God in worship, um, kind of what they might think about that, what they might see that. And so, I don't know, it's just kind of a neat perspective to think that maybe 2,000 years from now, somebody might sit down and, and read those lyrics as simple as they are. Lord, I need you. God, I need you. Every, every hour I need you, right? And so it's just kind of just kind of cool if you think about it. All right, let's jump in. So uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And so the first thing Paul says here, he says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And so before he gets into the hymn, or maybe it's this phrase that makes him want to sing the song, right? He's, he's thinking about everything that Christ has done. He's thinking about Christ's attitude towards us, towards his creation. And he says, make that, he's speaking to the church, Christian, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And so he's thinking about Jesus' attitude towards us, and then he breaks into this song. Like, he just can't help singing. Like, what if we were like that, right? We're thinking about God's nature and his attitudes towards us and how he feels about us, how he thinks about us, and then we just can't help but praise him. Like, we just can't help think what he's done for us, how kind he's been to us, how good he's been to us, and we just can't help but burst into song, right? There'd just be people singing all over the place, right? It would be kind of weird, maybe. Or it could be really cool, right? And Katie's like, no, that'd be awesome. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. That right there in of itself should like make us just want to worship him. <laughs> who existing in the form of God. So Jesus, who's God, being God, did not consider the fact that he was God as something to be used for his own advantage, for his own good, for his own, for his own advantage, but for this. Instead, instead of that, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. So instead of thinking of his nature of, as God or his position, his status as God as something for his own advantage, what he does is the opposite of that. He humbles himself. He comes to earth to live as man on earth for us to the point of death. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him, the gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those that are in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of, our God, to the, glory of God the Father. Amen, man. I, for me, I was just studying that this week, and I was just pumped. Like, just reading that, I just was getting excited about being here, so... If you can't tell, I'm excited. <laughs> so 
So Paul starts off with that interesting phrase, though, right? He starts off, make your own attitude, that of Christ Jesus, which causes him to, to burst into this song. But don't you think that's interesting, a challenge for the church? Make our attitude that of Christ Jesus. And it made me think of this old preacher joke. So I'm a pastor and a dad, so I've got really corny jokes, okay? It's like just goes, it's a perfect blend, right? So it made me think of this old preacher joke talking about attitudes. And uh, it's the, it goes like this. So there's this, this lady, always starts with a lady. This old lady, she gets a parrot, right? I'm like, where is this going to go? This old lady, she gets this parrot and uh, she takes it home. And this parrot is like this mean, nasty parrot. So all he's doing, he's just talking trash to her. He's cussing her out. He's calling her names. She's like this just sweet elderly lady. And so she's like, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be really sweet and kind to this parrot. Maybe I can cause him to change his attitude. Maybe we can help him to just be a little nicer. And so the nicer she is to this parrot, the meaner he seems to get. And he just keeps coming up with these new, you know, curse words, just calling her all kinds of names. And so eventually she loses her patience with the bird and she starts screaming at him and yelling at him. But the more she yells at him, the more he yells back. And so eventually, like all of us have done at some point, I'm sure, she gets mad and she grabs the parrot and throws him, throws him in the freezer. She just wants some peace and quiet. She wasn't trying to kill him. Come, relax, Peter, it's okay. She's just going to put him in the fr- just a little peace and quiet. And so the, the bird's kind of going crazy, and she hears him squawking and yelling, and he's kicking stuff around. And all of a sudden, there's just dead silence. And so she's thinking, what have I done? I've killed, I've killed this parrot. So she gets scared. She runs. She opens the door, and there's the parrot standing there. And he just walks out calmly, gets on her arm. He's alive. And he says, ma'am, I would just like to apologize for my terrible behavior and my abhorrent attitude. And I would just like to let you know that I will no longer act this way and that my attitude from now on will be kind and sweet and good. And she's like, what has just happened, right? Some of you guys are like, I wish they could throw somebody I know in a freezer, right? <laughs> to change them. And so anyways, she's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I just want to apologize. And she's like, she's about to ask, you know, what changed your mind? What happened? And he goes, ma'am, if you don't mind, may I ask, what did the chicken do wrong? <laughs> Frozen chicken in the freezer. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So, <laughs> the point of that, sometimes it takes extreme circumstances for us to change our attitudes, right? <laughs> like, we've all been at a point in life, <clears throat> like for me, um, if you were to talk to my parents, they might say that occasionally, once or twice when I was a teenager, I had an attitude problem. Very seldom. But sometimes, what, did, what were the circumstances that it took to change my attitude? You know, I had to be grounded or yelled at or correct, whatever, right? Sometimes we, um, it takes extreme circumstances for us to change our attitude, but what we do know about life is that attitude matters, right? The attitude that we carry, the attitude that we have is important. Like, even growing up, you hear things like, you know, life is 90% or 10% what happens to you and 90% how you handle it, right? So attitude is important. So Paul is looking at the church. He's speaking to the church and he's saying, you need to have the attitude that Christ Jesus had when he looks at you. And so this is a big challenge for us as a people. The, the attitude that we have, that we carry in life is important, especially if Paul is pointing us to Jesus and he's saying, you need to reflect this attitude that he had towards you. And then especially when we go on to read the attitude that he's talking about, it seems like this overwhelming, like, how do we, what? Right? Let's just look at it. Let's just, 
So he says, verse 6, So the attitude that Jesus had, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. This first verse right here gives us an incredible insight into our creator's mindset. It gives us an incredible insight into God's mind. And so if we're just setting the stage, if we're just looking, what does it mean? Like, why is it that he needs to not look at um, his, his status as God in his own advantage? Like, what is it that's setting the stage for that? What is that? The reason why Paul's pointing this out is because Jesus is looking at a fallen humanity. He's looking at creation who is fallen and is broken and deserves nothing more than death, damnation, and hell. Right? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God creates. Um, God makes uh, man in his own image. Everything's perfect. Everything's great. Man sins. The relationship with God is broken. And it's all downhill from there. And so what we have is Jesus looking down at a broken humanity who deserves nothing better than what we deserve. And what we deserve is hell and punishment for our sin against the creator, for our sin against God. And so Jesus in his own right would have every single right to look at humanity, to look in creation and do exactly what we do, right? What do we do? We look on Facebook or we look on social media or we see something bad happen to somebody and we're like, well, you deserved it, <laughs> right? You told what you was doing. That's what you, that's what you get. You play with fire, you're going to get burnt, sister, right? Right? Yeah, praise no, no. <laughs> That is, the not, that is the opposite direction that we are trying to go here. But right, so Jesus had every right to look at creation, to look at humanity, to look at you and I and say, they kind of deserve what they get, man. Because he's looking from the vantage point of himself as God. Like what Jesus deserves is honor and glory and adoration and praise. He deserves every tongue confessing he's Lord. He deserves our constant praise and worship of his name, of himself, right? That's not what we were giving him. That's not what humanity was giving him. And so as his status as God, he had every right to claim what he deserved. Does that make sense? He had every right to claim what was owed to him, our praise and adoration. And the punishment for not doing that is, right, Sin, brokenness, hell, death. Yet we have a God who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. So he wasn't looking at humanity saying, here's what I need to get out of this, humans. You want this to go well for you? Here's what you got to do for me. That's not what our God did. Instead, verse seven, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. Now, you think, think, think that's strong language, but if you go from being God, all-knowing, all-powerful, existing outside of time and space, being the creator of the universe, being from God to the form of a man, limited by the fact that, like, I got four hours of sleep right last night, and I feel dead, right? God, Jesus had never known that before. You go from being the God of the universe to living in flesh, you better believe you're going from the status of free God to slave. For the first time in his life, Jesus' attributes had been limited to humanity. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of man. So fully God, fully man, taking on the likeness of man. And when he had come as man in his external form, so he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. 
And I, the reason why I wanted to point out the, the fact that him going from God to man is, is a big deal is because so often we kind of gloss over that. We just get to the like, he died on the cross for us. Now we have freedom from sin. Awesome. Yeah. But we forget the huge sacrifice that Jesus made, even in going from God to walking on this earth with us, to being spit on, to being disrespected, to being unknown from what he deserved. He humbled himself. Everything about Jesus, everything about just those first few verses scream humbleness. They scream at God who's looking and saying, here's what I deserve, but here's what I'm going to do in spite of what I deserve for you because I love you. Jesus didn't look at his position as God as an excuse, a very valid excuse to get what he deserved. Instead, he came down and he suffered, um, even in his transition from God to man, but then he suffered on the cross, the most vile of deaths for you and I. Existing as God, he chose to live as man. And he humbled himself and voluntarily paid the price for you and I. (laughs) Paul says, have that attitude. Great, Paul. Thanks. I don't know if if you're like me, but I know me, and that's not the way I default. (laughs) Right. So why did he do this? C.S. Lewis um, says it this way in his book, Miracles, which I thought was really cool. he, he describes what Jesus did as this. He, he describes it like a diver going down after a precious jewel. And so I'm just going to read what he said. He said, God, in, the, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. So God leaves heaven. He comes down with the full purpose of going back up. He descends to reascend. He comes down from the heights of being an absolute being into time and space down to humanity. He goes down to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world with him. I love that, man. He goes down to come back up again. And when he comes back, he's bringing the world with him. He's bringing our whole ruined world with him. One may think, oh, excuse me, he must stoop down in order to lift back up. One may think of a diver reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in the midair, then gone with a splash. So diving in the ocean, vanished, rushing down through the green, warm water into the black and cold water, down to the increasing pressure, to the death-like region of the slime and decay. And then up, up, back again into the color and the light, his lungs almost bursting until suddenly he breaks the surface, holding in his hand, dripping wet, the precious thing he went down to recover. I love that, man. Isn't that a beautiful picture of Jesus? I, I love that. He is good. Why? Because as wicked as we were, as undeserving as we were, as lacking as we were, Jesus looked at us and he said, I don't consider my status as God um, to sit up here and just get what I deserve. Instead, I see humanity that I love, humanity that I want to save, humanity that's weak and cannot do it themselves. And I'm going to stoop down to lift them back up again. It's a beautiful picture of our Jesus. And I think that this week as I was doing that, I was, I was thinking about, I was just kind of overwhelmed with that, you know, as I was thinking about it, how good our God is, how forgiving he is, how merciful he is, how sacrificial he is for us. And I won't pretend to totally understand this, but I'll say um, I understand that more now having Gideon, our son, than I did before you know, um, this whole unconditional love thing. It makes a whole lot more sense to me now. Like this last week, um, 
you know, I, I'm sure that no parents ever struggled with this, but last, this last week, we had a crazy week with that boy. Like, we love him, but he was insane, man. And uh, anyway, so there was one of those days where he's been crying all day, fussing all day. And, uh, you know, I, Katie's like just, ah, you know, crying everywhere. It was crazy. I, excuse me, I was crying everywhere. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, and so anyways, he's, holding, he's just screaming at me. And so I go and I put him in his crib, and he won't stop crying. And so I just crawled him up with him. I took my shoes off. I'm going to get in here with you, man. And so we, I started just talking to him and praying. And it was the weirdest thing because what escaped out of my mouth was, dude, I don't care what you ever do. I will never love you any less than I do today. And it was like a profound moment of like, oh, so that's how Jesus feels about me. <laughs> it's this weird thing. And so why do we have a God that, that thinks that way about us? How, do we, how is it that we're so fortunate? How are we so lucky is not the word, right? But it's just a picture of a good, good God. And I thought, what father wouldn't do what Jesus did for us, for his son or daughter? It's beautiful, man. Verse 9 says, For this reason, so because Jesus did all of these things, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the sun, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what is God the Father's response to Jesus' sacrifice to us is to lift him up and that we would, as creation, honor him, glorify him, worship him. So how this translates for us as we look at this picture, hopefully, if you're not Christian, a Christian, the first way it translates is that you would want to, first and foremost, repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness, and give your life to Jesus. Like, hopefully, that's our first response as we hear this good news, as we see what God has done for us, that we would just say, man, I want that. I want to know that. I want to be a part of that, and that we would repent and just fall on our face before him and give our lives to him. Right? So then, if we have done that, What's our next response to that? To be honest with you, it's really simple and easy. We should spend our lives in adoration and worship of that king. The next response and the right response is that we as creation would shout out and proclaim and worship our creator because he's been so, so good to us, so kind to us, so merciful to us. All of this should lead us to worship. It's like we sang this morning in Cornerstone, the weak made strong, right? We have a God who stooped down and picked up the weak who are helpless, lost in our own, like, just muck and junk. And he's picked us up and raised us up. And we were weak. He's made us strong. He's done what we couldn't do for ourselves. Our response should be to worship that God. And so today, we've done that. Today, hopefully, we're still doing that right now. And as we close, we're going to do that again, right? We're going to stand up and we're going to sing and we're going to worship him. And I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to do that because all of these things should lead us to worship him. But we can't end the service right here, right? Because there's this pesky little thing that Paul said in the beginning of the text. Like, it's all great if we're like, we love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for what you did and move on. But there's this like pesky little phrase that Paul said at the beginning. He said, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Y'all thought I was going to let you off the hook, didn't you? Like, oh, good, he forgot about that. I can't handle that. So how do we do that? Like, one, I'm not God. I'm not, I can't, like, save anybody's soul. 
I'm not like, you know, I can't just go, if I die for you, like, I'm not going to help you out that much, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, well, I'll, I'll move on. I'm not God, right? But what we see in Jesus on the cross is the whole just opposite of our human nature, right? The, the fact that he would look and say, here's what I deserve, but I'm not claiming my rights. I'm not here to claim what I deserve. Instead, I'm going to stoop down and pick up the weak and make them strong. It was the opposite of human nature. As a matter of fact, since birth, like we're, it's just ingrained in us to be the opposite of that. Like I'll talk about my son one more time. I love that kid so much, but sometimes I just laugh at Katie. I was like, I don't understand how we love him so much. He just poops and yells at us and cries. Like, he doesn't, do, he doesn't do the dishes. He doesn't, like, clean anything. He's not, like, you know, like, w- what is that, right? Everything, every, everything is about him, man, with this kid. It's all about him. And I think the secret of that is that that doesn't change a whole lot once we get older. My parents would say that about me, probably, right? We probably wouldn't say that about ourselves. Oh, no, I'm very giving and kind and loving and unselfish, Right? But it's like, it's like this thing in our nature that everything's about us since birth. It's all about me, and we don't change in that, right? Even as we talked about last week, we're all about claiming our rights. We're all about claiming what we deserve. We're all about our human nature is to say, give me what is owed to me. Um, and it's, and uh, so often it's about just simply being better than the next guy. It's the whole keeping up with the Joneses thing. It's how we were laughing about, hey, you love the car that you have until your neighbor pulls up with a new, and all of a sudden you're like, well, mine smells kind of funny. You know, I need a new tie, right? What is, what's wrong with us, man? What's wrong with us? We worship athletes and pop stars because they're famous and so awesome. Everything's about trending and being popular on social media, being famous. Even pastors, we love to be famous and be, you know, have all these followers on Twitter and stuff. Uh, we want to be important. We want what we think we deserve. Our culture, our nature desires wealth, glamour, power. And we believe that whatever it takes to achieve these goals is okay. The ends justifies the means. Like there's this show that I used to watch, but I never actually watched it called Breaking Bad. Um, If you've seen it, I did not watch that show. It was awful. Um, But there's this guy on there who's who's a drug dealer, right? And he's like the, he's kind of the hero of the show. And so the whole thing is he's just this terrible guy. But when I would watch the show, I kept finding myself rooting for this guy. Like, everything that he did wrong, everything that he did bad, like, as, as a viewer of the show, I'm thinking the ends justifies the means. This is all okay. Like, dude, you got to kill that girl. She's going to tell on you, right? Like, where else is that okay? You know, like, that's not okay, right? I'm like, kill her, man. She's going to tell the cops. Snitches get stitches, right? You know, this is, this is not okay. What's wrong with me? But this is, this is our society. Like, the ends justifies the means, right? You got to get what's yours. It's we we glam like even in advertising, um, everything. Nothing actually talks about the product. Like the best example of this is is like I think of milk, and I'm like, when did milk become sexy? Like why is it that we put naked Kim Kardashian on there and we slap a milk mustache on there? And how how is that a milk ad? That's not a that's not a milk ad. Like that's that's pornography, people. That's not okay. <laughs> it's not even about the product. It's about here's what this product can do for your life. Here's how it can make you better. Here's how it can make you more important. Here's how it can make you feel special, right? And yet Jesus is the absolute opposite of that. Everything in our culture says, chase that. Everything in our worlds are designed to make us feel important, to get what we deserve, um, to get ours, to be bigger and better and better, right? It's all about that pride thing that we have going on. 
And yet we look at this picture of Jesus and it screams humbleness. We look at this picture of Jesus and it screams everything that is the opposite of that. Everything that's the opposite of that. Our culture, our nature says chase after that. Yet the picture of Jesus leaving earth, or excuse me, leaving heaven to come to earth says something the opposite. Our society says chase being known, chase being important, chase being like valued and getting what you deserve. And yet we see Jesus leaving his status as the king of heaven to come be the slave of mankind. Our society says claim your rights. And yet Jesus says, this is all your fault. This is what you deserve. And yet, even though you sin against me, even though you deserve hell, I will come and die for you so that you don't get what you deserve. Our society says, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Jesus says, they can't save themselves, so I will save them, despite what they deserve. Our society says, the weak exist to serve the strong. Yet Jesus says, my power, my strength gives me the opportunity to serve and lift up the weak. Isn't that beautiful? We see that all over Jesus' ministry as he's walking with skin on, right? As he's walking with skin on and he's loving a fallen humanity. He's healing the blind. He's healing the woman at the well. Even with rich and powerful people that act like they have it together, we see him speaking to Zacchaeus. Hey man, I see you're broken. I'm coming to your house, bud. We're going to talk. We're going to have a conversation. It's this beautiful picture of our God who sees his power and his strength as not as something to get what's his, but instead we see him looking at his power and his strength and his, strength and his nature as an opportunity to serve and lift up the weak, to heal the broken, to save the lost. I think that we as a church and we as Christians should take a whole lot away from that. And I think that as we look at that challenge, having the same attitude that Christ had, I think we can get on board with that. And I think that as, we, um, as I give you just, I want to challenge you and I want to say, here's practically how I think that this can flesh out in your life this week. That's what I want us to hold on to. That's what I want us to, to pay attention to is Jesus seeing what was his, his power, his strength, and not st- seeing that as something that could serve himself, but instead looking at, the, looking at us and as Christians, us looking at the world around us and seeing those things that God has gifted us as an opportunity to lift up and heal the weak and the broken versus something to serve ourselves. I think if we were to capture Christ's attitude towards us, that would be a picture of it. I think that would be a picture of it. I think that in this place, most of us probably wouldn't consider ourselves rich, but I would say that we're among the richest in the world. And yeah, financially, yes, if you look at the numbers, we are, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that we know the king of kings, man. We know the savior of the world because he has saved us. So how can we use that blessing, that, that power, to help the weak and the weary around us, to point them to Jesus, to show them the one who has saved and transformed and healed our own broken souls? How can we, instead of say, that Jesus, thank you for saving me. That's great that you did that for me. But how can we look at that and not look at that intrinsically only for ourselves, but maybe Jesus is saving you to impact the world around you as well, to be used for the kingdom of God? 
And we want to do that as a church, right? That's why I believe so much in the I Love My City events that we do. And so if you're not familiar with that, um, it's, it's something that we try to do, we're, we're trying to do, where we just go out and just love on our city. So we take opportunities to serve our city. So last night, um, for example, the Wataga Community Center had a, uh, a big event where they had a Halloween festival. And so we just had a bunch of people from the church go and paint faces and love and love on them and just get to know. That's what we want to do, right? We want to love on our community, love our city, um, that's why I believe in that so much, because not because we want to like be known in our city, but we have so many young, energetic people here who just are excited about life, right? Excited to serve. We want to take that and not say, how can that benefit the river? But how can we use that energy to benefit the world around us, to benefit our community? We don't want to be selfish with that. Another way that we as a church want to do that, just to be an example, in a couple of weeks, um, we're sitting down with the elders and we're going to plan our budget for 2017, <coughs> So in that, the way we're doing that is we're going to look at our finances for the year, and we're going to budget on an 80-10-10 principle, which means 10% of that is going to go for miscellaneous savings, emergency fund. 80% of that, we're going to set our budget. But then another 10% of that, we're going to give away. You say, man, Mike, you're a brand new church plant, like meeting in a movie theater. Like, what's wrong with you people? We want to set that, that tone early in our church. That as we think about our church, we don't want to think about our financial resources as something that's only for us, our own blessing, right? How can we benefit? But we want to look at that as how can we give this away to our community? How can we love our community? How can we, in what God blesses us with as a church, point our community to Jesus, even in our finances? And so I want to challenge us in that. We want to set the example that we don't want to be selfish and hoard our means, but we want to prayerfully use it so that souls will be saved and lives will be changed. And so let me challenge you in that today. Give away all your money. No, I'm kidding. We're going to take up an offering now. No, I'm just kidding. But I think it's important that you know that. I think it's important that you know that that's who we want to be as a church, as a church that doesn't look at our means and not just our financial means, but our energy and everything that God blesses us with. We want to be looking outward constantly. We don't want to be pointing it to us. We want to have the attitude of Jesus. This isn't for us. This is so that souls can be saved, lives can be changed. Like, we're not setting up a country club here, right? Even though you're sitting in the best seats in town, right? Like, really, Mike? This cup holder says different, right? That's not what we're going for here, man. What we're going for is to be a church that's constantly pointing outwards. That's why we have I Love My City. That's why we're going to set our budget that way. We want to be constantly looking outwards. So my challenge for you today is that you would have that same attitude of, as Jesus. That in the simplest way, let us not see the world around us as a place to serve me. Let us not see the world around us as a place to serve me, but let us look to Jesus as, as our example, who sacrificially left his spot in heaven, who, saw, who looked at his, uh, himself as king of the universe, not for his own self, but sacrificially leaving heaven to seek and to save the lost. We have a, an incredible church filled with talented, loving, kind, good, energetic people. Let us look at those attributes, not as opportunities to serve ourselves, but to serve the world and the community around us so that God would save souls and change lives. What's interesting is that you can make a difference. God wants to use your life to make a difference in your daily life. Like this isn't some big picture thing. This is like tomorrow you can do this. 
This is like on your way home, you can do this. So let us have the attitude of Jesus so that we're constantly pointing others to Christ. Let us see the world around us not as something that exists to serve me, but as an opportunity that we can serve the world around us with the attitude of the sermon, with the mind of Christ, all for the purpose of pointing back to Jesus. I saw, I, I'm going to leave you with this. This is, this is going to be the official challenge, okay? This is the official challenge. I saw this on Facebook from someone from the church posted this. So you better be careful what you post on Facebook because I see it and it might end up in a sermon. But I thought it fit so well with, uh, with the challenge for today. And so I'm going leave to leave, leave you with this. The quote was this. said, what if instead of waiting for good enough things to happen to us, we could be the good thing that happens to someone else who's waiting? Isn't that good? What if we had that mindset that instead of sitting around waiting for good things to happen to me, God, why can't you do this for me? Why can't you? What if we saw the world around us, the opportunity to be the good thing that happens to somebody else? Because there's broken people out there. There's hurting people. In your your daily life, you're going to interact with, talk to, speak with, have the opportunity to interject life and hope into people's lives. And you probably don't even, well, sometimes we, I'm not saying you miss it, but sometimes we don't see it. Because we're waiting, looking for Jesus, do this for me. What if Jesus wants to use you to be the good in somebody else's life? To point back to him. The way I think about it is, man, there's a great adventure out there. God is doing some amazing things in our world. Let's be a part of that, man. Like he's doing it whether we're on board or not. So why don't we get on board and let him use our lives, right? Why don't we let be a part of what God's doing? It's going to be a great adventure. It already has been, right? Father, I love you so much. God, I thank you for um, the attitude that you had towards us, God. Even though we deserved damnation, even though we deserved hell, even though we could have gotten what we had coming to us in a sense, God. Father, I thank you so much that we have a king and we have a God who looked at us and didn't say, let me tell you what I deserve, humans. (laughs) Let me tell you what I deserve, but instead stooped down to come back up again. You reached down and you picked us up and you saved us and you've given us hope and you've given us life and you've given us salvation, Father. Lord, I pray that we would be those kinds of Christians. Lord, that we would be that kind of a church that we would look to the world around us and not say, what can I get out of this? But we, we remember what you've done for us and we remember how you've saved us. We remember how you're transforming us and changing us, Lord. And that we'd have a deep desire to be used in that way in somebody else's life, Lord. Help us to this week as we go out to remember, Lord, that we wouldn't be people who are waiting for the good thing to happen to us, but that we would be the good that you speak into, the hope that you give to, the life that you breathe into someone else, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.